Let's talk for a minute. I used to be a pastor's kid when I was a kid. I still am a pastor's, but I'm not a kid anymore. I'm too big for that now. They keep telling me. Um, but I was always told when I was growing up that I was going to be this rebellious, terrible person because like pastor's sons, pastor's kids always turned out the worst or whatever. I thought that was kind of silly. Um, just because some pastor's kids were rebellious didn't mean I would be. I mean, you can't tell me what I'm going to be. Get it? <laughs> rebellious? Anyway, um, I remember actually being very close to the Lord when I was young. Uh, I believed, totally believed, took it seriously. But I was very immature, more than I am now, if you can believe that. I was very immature. Um, but I didn't consider myself to be a rebel. That wasn't sort of my thing. I thought of myself as more sort of well-behaved than most of the other kids around. But there were definitely sinful behaviors that I just sort of justified and thought, no, that's okay. I can do that. Um, I grew older and started justifying more and more uh, until there was a time when my life looked nothing at all like the life of a Christ follower. I would have said at that time I was a Christian. Probably would have argued with you about it. Probably would have talked about the Bible. After all, I had grown up as a pastor's kid, so I knew the right things to say, uh, like so many pastor's kids probably do. But there was nothing about my life that suggested that I was a Christ follower. Um, I, I wasn't in a position to be able to minister to anyone. Um, when I was younger, I would evangelize to my friends. I would pray the sinner's prayer with them. I'd invite them to church. Like, I was all about it when I was younger. Um, by the time I was a young adult, uh, nobody probably would have taken me seriously if I would have tried to evangelize. And, of course, I didn't because I wasn't living for Christ. I was living like a lost man. I was like the prodigal son, only worse, living in the flesh, not the spirit. Uh, and the Lord, the Lord chased me down. The Lord was incessant in coming after me. He was a father chasing down his son, his child, and trying to bring me back. And I had opportunities to repent, to turn my life around, and to be a serious Christ follower. But at the time, I was immature. And over time, he called and he called with the sweet and calm voice of a father. And then he chastened me because the calling wasn't working. And he chastened me hard. And he brought me to my knees, literally to my knees, before God. I eventually was there, despairing of my life as he revealed my sinful heart, my sinful nature to me. And then he called me out of that place with his beautiful, gracious love. And there is nothing like that moment in my life. There is no moment in my life that can compare to that moment. There's no moment in my life that I think of as more important to me than that moment. When I was there and knew who I was and knew who he could make me and that he was willing to and understood my need for him. He set me on the right path. He gave me opportunities and he grew me and he transformed me and he's still doing it. He took away my rebellious, hard heart and showed me how to love him. Showed me how to love and serve him, how to be humble. He showed me how to love others, to serve others, to think better about others, to put them in front of me. 
He gave me and my wife, Tiffany, the grace to have a marriage that survived because of his love for us and not because of anything in us, but because of who he is in us. Gave me the blessing of loving my children, raising them. Gave me friends and family and church bodies to serve and to learn and to grow. And all of these were steps that he brought me on as he was transforming me once I had surrendered to him completely in that moment where he had to chasten me. And he drew me to himself closer and closer and he cleaned me up and he loves me and I love him and I am his. And he is mine. And I will hold on to him because there's nothing else to hold on to. And I will trust him and I will love him in the power of his Holy Spirit for eternity. That's the desire of my heart. That's who I am. It's why I'm standing here. It's why I do the things that I do. Hopefully, Lord willing, that's why I do the things that I do. I have a heart for the one who loves me that much. It's the desire of my heart to keep moving forward. That's the desire of my heart. And all I want is to be used to serve others to have these same things that I just described happen to them. I want them to experience the love of God and of the body of Christ. Those are two things. They're they're the same thing in some ways, but there are two things that you just can't understand how powerful they can be if you really take advantage of them. If you'll live in God's love, if you'll live in the understanding of the love and affection and care of the body of Christ, that's you, by the way. You have no idea how much there is for you there. I want people to have what I have in Jesus Christ. I want people to thrive in the joy of the Holy Spirit. No matter what happens in their life, no matter what they go through, and I know you all have gone through all kinds of stuff and are going through, you either just got through something, you're about to do, get something, or you're in the middle of something. I mean, I know. Fallen world, rough times, and yet I want you to thrive and have joy in that. I want you to experience God. That's why I'm here. I'm here because of all that God has given me and all that he has called me to do. And I want you to be here for the same reason. There really isn't another good reason long term for you to be here than for you to want that also. If you don't want that also, the rest of what we have to offer here won't ever be enough to satisfy you. You've got to want to do what he's called you to do. Some of you are somewhere on that road, whether you're online, whether you're in the room today, that I've described. Maybe you're way, way past me. If so, praise the Lord. Maybe you're way back where I was when I was walking like a, an unbeliever, still claiming to be a believer. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're immature. Maybe you're justifying sin. I don't know. Maybe you're growing in Christ, trusting him more every day. Wherever you are, you are being called by the gracious, loving pull of our Father to what's next. Wherever you are, it's about what's next. If you're unsaved, it's about getting saved. If you're saved, it's about getting baptized. If you're baptized, it's about getting discipled. Wherever you are, it's what's next. What's next? You're being pulled to growth and maturity and good works. It's where you are. Ephesians 2.10. We have Bibles, by the way. They look like this. 
They're in the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those and take it home with you. It's for you. If you can't find your Bible at home, whatever, these are for you. These are free. We bought them because we want you to have the Word of God in your home. You can follow with this. It'll be on the screen, as you can see, on your phone, however you want to do that. But we, we're going to read some scripture today, and I want you to have something you can read with. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What is my life about? What is it for? You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That gets into some of that Romans 9 stuff that Lord willing we'll get back to. But God has prepared good works for you beforehand that you should walk in him. That's what you were created in Christ Jesus for. Okay, we talk about, uh, there's a word called teleology. It's about purpose. Okay, it's about what's the purpose. Your purpose, one major part of your purpose is to walk in these good works which have been prepared beforehand for you to walk in. I don't know how many of you ever started a project, like a long project, like a big project. You know, maybe you're going to build a deck. Maybe you've got a big paper to write. I don't know. Whatever. Big project. And you know you have a lot of work to do before that thing will even start to take shape to look anything like what you're trying to eventually get to, right? But you keep working and you keep working and eventually you start to see. You start to see the completion of that project coming together. Then you finish. You're done and you look at that project and you feel really good about that project. Every step that you took in doing that project from the first one to the last one, that was a good work toward that project's completion. Every step. Some of the steps in a project feel like really toilsome, hard work. Some of them are fun, some of them are whatever. But if you got a project, you took a lot of steps and every one of those steps in terms of that project was a good work towards its completion. All of our steps are. Philippians 1.6 being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ is working in you step by step. Very few of you, I would say none, came to know Jesus and instantly were transformed into the perfect mature believer. Right? Like ever since I was saved, I've never argued with my spouse. I've been, I've been I mean, perfect. It's just amazing. It's so easy too. That just, you know, that's not how it is. Christ is working in you, right? Step by step, step by step, day by day, hour by hour, transforming you, making you his workmanship. He's doing that so you, like him, can work good works step by step, the ones that he has prepared for you to walk in. And as you walk in them, you can't see the completion of the complete plan of God right now. But as you walk in them, you will start to see it come together. And you will particularly, one of the really cool things about walking the Lord and keeping taking steps forward is that as you look back, you can see, oh, that thing that I was just beeped about, right? Really upset about. That thing back there, now I see. Now I see how it fits into where God has me now. It's an amazing thing as you take step by step. We have Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. 
And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, this younger brother in Christ, this young pastor that he's, that he's been training. And he's saying, listen, finish the race. Paul's going to die soon. He knows that. But Paul fought and raced and kept the faith and the crown that goes to the one who wins the race, it goes to him. And he knew it because he had taken step after step after difficult step after difficult step after difficult step and he had been faithful. And he knew that for those who are faithful, there were rewards waiting for him. Now, how does a race get won? Well, the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, one step at a time. Don't eat elephants. I, that's not a thing that, it's not part of this, but one step at a time, right? One step at a time. This guy's on the starting block here. You can see his big shoe. He's going to take off. It's not going to be over there, right? He's got to keep going. One step at a time. In a particular direction, you run the race. Every step in a race moves you toward the finish line. Every step is a good work toward that prize, the crown of righteousness, something all of us should be seeking because we love Jesus and we want to honor him and we want to be who he's making us and we want to walk in the works that he has prepared for us beforehand. So we should be taking those steps. Now, there are a couple ways to fail in a race. Probably a lot of ways to fail. I've probably found all of them. I've never won a race that I can think of, right? One is to sit down and stop running. You sit down, you stop running, you're probably not going to win that race, right? Probably not going to happen because the other people are going to keep running. Another way is to get sidetracked. You start running the wrong direction. You're still running. You're still taking steps, but not towards the finish line, towards somewhere else. Only those who keep running, they don't sit down, and let the race pass them by. They keep running. And those who stay on the path in the right direction are the ones who will win the race. Unfortunately, in the race we're talking about, our lives in Christ, our spiritual lives, this is a contact sport. In a normal race, nobody comes out of here to tackle you. Right? That would be cool. You know, you'd watch that. Right? Runners, they're running, and somebody could like randomly come to... I'm going to make a new sport. Anyway... That's not how race normally works, but in this race it is. There are those who the evil one will use to try to push you off the path. The evil one will put in front of you this or that to distract you, to tempt you to just not, to just to stop, it's just too much, I can't see the finish line, it seems so far away, this is so hard, I'm just going to sit for a while. This is really difficult, there's a path over there, I'm just going to go that way. I think I can figure out how to get a faster way to the finish line, and we end up in trouble over here, right? All of that kind of stuff. You have to keep going through times when you cannot necessarily see how far you've made it or what the point is of running at all. It's where you are sometimes. And in all this, you have to keep Christ right there in front of you, right there in front of you, eyes on him all the time. Not like Peter who starts looking at the waves and starts sinking, but eyes on Christ all the time, moving forward one step at a time. Can't see anything but him sometimes. Can't see where it's going. Can't see how it's helping. All you know is that this is what he's called you to do, and you just keep doing it. 
That's, that's where the race is sometimes. You keep moving. You keep growing. You keep maturing. And you realize partway through that race that a lot of the real growth and maturity that happens happens in the hills, happens in the hard parts of the race. Not in the easy parts. Not in the easy running, if there is such a thing. Okay? I know some people like to run. They're like, I love running. I love it. And I'm like, you need pills of some kind. <laughs> I don't know what kind of pills. Like, I get a runner's high. I'm like, no, that's, that what? I get a runner's very low. Okay? <laughs> very low. I don't, I'm like, what are we doing? I have a car. What are we doing? <laughs> I remember I got in good enough shape to run. At one point, Tiffany and I were doing a lot of running. We were going to run a half marathon or something. Well, she did, of course, because she's Tiffany. Um, and like we got, we were doing this. We got to like the eight mile race. And I had had a trial that day and I had hated how things had gone. And I was upset with the judge and whatever. And I'm running. I get to like mile four. And I'm just like, forget this. This is the dumbest thing. Ever. And I just quit. I didn't do the rest of the training and I just quit. I was done. I just was like, running is so stupid. Anyway, I don't want to. <laughs> that kind of running, this kind of running, I'm talking about spiritual running, this is important. Okay, I'm all about this. But the real running thing, that's not my thing. It's not my thing. <laughs> but you realize that the hard parts of the run, parts where your legs are burning, right? We're back to the metaphor here. The part where, where it's really tough. When you get past that part, that's usually the part that made you stronger. That's usually the part that made you more mature. I count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? Because testing your faith produces in you all kinds of good stuff. And so the path is difficult. We don't like difficult these days. I'm on the top of the list. Would love to be comfortable all the time. Love it. But it's not what's best. Right? A lot of people... They don't keep going in the race. When the steps get difficult, when they're challenged to do things that, that require real trust in the Lord, when they're challenged to do things that they really don't want to do, that's where the race sort of stops and they have a seat or the race starts going in that direction over there. I'm still a Christian. I'm still whatever, but off I go because I'd rather go this way or that way. But if you keep moving... Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. The running gets easier. The joy is greater. And the peace that you have surpasses understanding. If you, during the race that God has you on, look to yourself or to money or to fame or popularity or to your own accomplishments or sex or alcohol or drugs or comfort, what's going to happen is you're going to slow down or stop or start running in the wrong direction. Your steps are no longer good works that were prepared for you beforehand. They're just what you want to do. And the maturity stops and the fruitfulness dries up and you get super focused on you, your needs. You know, people aren't nice enough to me. I'm not getting enough. Where's mine? And all of a sudden that, those, those blossoms that were coming, boy, they just start to go back. You see it. In yourself, sometimes I've seen it in myself. I see it in other people. It's like, whoa, the fruit for this season is not fruitful for this person. You know? Because you can see fruitfulness in the hardest seasons of people's lives sometimes. So it's not because life is hard. It's because somewhere along the way, this person has sat down or this person has gotten sidetracked. 
Their focus has gotten off Christ and on themselves or off Christ and on some other thing, on some worry, on some anxiety, on some fear. Your steps become wasted effort. They become futile. And you become lonely or anxious or frustrated or, God forbid, these days, bored. Right? That's like the worst thing you can be these days. That's why everybody's just on these all the time, right? Chasing those endorphins. God, it's not like I'm better than you. You think I haven't seen all the Instagram reels? Some of those are hilarious. <laughs> we have two Huskies. The ones about Huskies are the best. They're hilarious. You can only know if you own Huskies, though. Um, the prescription is get up and move. That's the prescription. Or, if you are moving, but you're moving in the wrong direction, turn around and run back in the right direction. Repent. That's what repenting is. Turning. Turning around. Right? Changing your mind. I was running this way. I thought I knew better than God. It's time to run, start running back. Because all those steps back towards the line, those are all good works too. Because they're coming back towards the line. You've got to get on track. We as Christ followers do not let life happen to us. We move. We go. We're goers. We're doers. We don't sit around and watch the world go by. We keep our focus on Christ and what he's called us to do. We haven't all been called to do everything. It's how the body of Christ works. Like, you're a foot, you're a hand, I'm the butt, probably, whatever. Like, we're all part of the thing, right? I get it. I get it. People have told me they've called me that lots of times, so I assume that's what it is, right? We are, am I allowed to say that? Somebody's going to be upset. Anyway, don't write me an email. I don't care. It's a part of your body, okay? Um, my mom used to make me say Fanny. She didn't let me say butt, so Fanny. Anyway, let's not get lost in the body of Christ here, but my point is, you're part of it, right? You're part of it. <laughs> We don't, let, we don't let, let life happen to us. We're moving, we're going. We're the body of Christ. We have a mission. We have a mission, okay? When a PTA gets together, Parent Teacher Association, they have a mission, right? They're like trying to raise money for the school or trying to do this thing or do that thing like that. Even they have a mission. When we come into church, we have the mission, the mission from God, that's like what, that's what we're here for. Don't ever forget that when you step in, when you're with the brother or sister in Christ, when you're on your own, when you wake up, when you go to bed, don't ever forget that you have a mission. A lot more important than the darn PTA. Okay? Or a million other groups that get very excited about their groups, that give lots of money to their group and lots of time to their group for missions that have nothing on the mission you have. We have a mission. A real mission. I don't care if you think that you like it or you think that you don't like it. Don't care if you disagree with it. I don't care whether you want to do it. It is our mission. It is our mission. Yeah, me too sometimes. Me too I don't want to do it sometimes. Like that's just human nature. The, the test of obedience isn't whether you do the things that are easy to do all the time. It's not a test of obedience. Right? My son is so obedient. I give him ice cream all day and let him play video games and he just does, I just tell him to do that. He just does it. Oh, shocker. Going to be a great kid. Now, I'm talking about the 30-year-old sons these days, but anyway, I don't want to get into that. Okay. The girls in the, in the group that are single are like, yeah, that's what I'm running into here. So anyway, um, see? Um, 
It is the mission of Jesus Christ's body, his church. It's the mission of his church. And if you are in Christ, you are his body, you are his church, and it is your calling. Our mission is your calling. It's on the wall outside for a reason, because we can never forget it. Matthew 28, 29, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, this is who he is. All authority in heaven, on earth is his. The Father has granted to the Son all authority. And you know what he says to you? Go. You know what that means? Pop. You've got the stamp. You are going in my authority. When you walk out in the world, when you sing in this church or listen to the scripture be preached or whatever you do, you are a person sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the people used to carry the king's seal to show that they were doing the work of the king. You have that seal on you. That's why he tells you first that all the authority is his and then grants you his authority. He's delegated to you a mission. Well, what's the mission? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What has he called you to do? To bring people to know Jesus Christ, to see them baptized, and to see them discipled. That's the mission. That's what we're here for. When you volunteer, whether you mow the lawn, or whether you lead a group, or whether you do whatever, that's what you're doing. When you give, when you serve, when you show up, that's what you're doing. That's the mission. That's what we're trying to do. So the body of Christ is called to do with the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father, that's what we do. This is it. This is how people experience the life that I have had in Christ. This is how people find strength in a fallen, broken world to keep moving in the Lord's work. How? By us doing the Great Commission. How was I drawn to the Lord? He didn't find me in a desert somewhere. I was amongst and around those who loved Jesus and were doing the work of the Great Commission, who brought me, who he used to draw me to himself, who he's used to train me, who he's used to have spiritual authority over me and bring me to himself closer and closer because they're doing the work of the Great Commission. This is not something pastors do. It's not something elders do. It's not something deacons do. It's not something ministry leaders do. That's not what the Great Commission is. Not just what they do. It is what we do together as the body of Christ. I think there are people who think about church, even the idea of I go to church. Like we call this building the church. I, I have been very careful to try to call this building the church building and not the church. This building is not a church. Okay, you are the church. I am not the great commission doer. We are the great commission doer. The elders are not the ones who are doing the great commission. And then you come and you sit and we sort of give you this thing. And you go, okay, I'm filled up now. I'll go back and do my thing this week. No, no, no. You're coming and you're giving as much as I'm giving. We're doing it together. Yeah, I have this role where I do this thing, God's called me and equipped me to do this thing. You have your role that God's equipped you to do. And all of us have certain things that we do as the body of Christ. As some of you know, my wife broke her ankle a few weeks ago. It was very painful for me. And no. 
It was not painful for me at all. Felt terrible that it wasn't. It hugely affected her life. It really did. She cannot get around very easily without help. She cannot do the things she wants to do. And Tiffany's a worker. She likes to do stuff and get stuff done. But she can't. Not when she wants to do those things, not the way she wants to do them, because there's pain and there is a disability. We can go over and get our, they give us a thing to get the handicap placard, which I'm definitely doing. Um, <laughs> because she can't. She's here today. We had to go to drive right up to the thing and get her and get her in and get her in a chair. She can't do stuff. Tiffany does not like that. She's a very independent, independent woman, very strong woman, has lots of things that she likes to do. It hurts to be hurting like that. When the body is broken, mm, it's rough. Her ability is affected. Broken body, right? Not just an ankle, right? One part of her body. But because of that ankle, that one part of her body that's out of commission, her whole body suffers. This one thing, it's just this little piece down here, okay? And the whole body suffers. And what the body can do is greatly affected because of just this one little piece. Now she can't get around. Now she can't do the things she wants to do because I got one piece that's not working. When we're doing the Great Commission as his body, as Jesus Christ's body, we can't have part of the body not working. There's a reason why the body life stuff is in the scripture very clearly. That the Lord has gifted each of us to do different things. And he's called us to, to, to local expressions of the body of Christ, which we call churches, which are his body, to do stuff together, to go out and do the Great Commission together. Now, if we've got a broken ankle, I can tell you, having watched Tiffany, you will not be as effective as you could be. You will hobble around in the Great Commission because not everybody's where they need to be. We need to run the race, certainly individually, walking in the good works that God prepared beforehand for us. But we need to all be doing that at the same time and together if we want to fulfill the Great Commission as his body. At the beginning of the year, we often do a vision Sunday, right? I'll get up and I kind of talk about the how. I might talk about sort of what happened last year and what we're trying to do this year. Methodology, right? How, do, how are we going to do the Great Commission? How are we going to walk forward and, and accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish? That's usually something I do in January. How are we going to do this as a body? But here we are and we're halfway through the year and I want to talk about mission instead of vision because the vision for how does not matter if we are not sold out to Jesus Christ and the call of the mission in the first place. The what matters more than the how. The how has changed tons of times over 2,000 years of the church. Okay? We used to play songs that sounded differently. They might meet in a place that looked different. You go look at some of the cathedrals in, you know, that, that exist. They're very different than this church, this church building, the way it looks. Their methodology has changed many times. The methodology is just a way to do the what, which is the Great Commission. If we're not sold out to Christ and the what and want to be obedient to that call, who cares how? Because how is not going to get us anywhere because we don't understand what. So that's what I want to talk. Each year we're asked to submit some statistics to the Northwest District. And I'm, I'm not big on statistics myself. I'm not a fan, I have to be honest with you. 
when I'm asked to do that and to do statistics, how many people went to the church, how many people watched online, how many people got saved, how many people got baptized, you know, whatever, all that kind of stuff. I'm just not a fan of doing that. I don't like it. But as you know, I don't like to be a difficult person. So I have Susan do the statistics. She does a great job. Anyway, I saw the district handout for the annual meeting, which shows like all the churches and how they're doing and all the statistics. It was actually very eye-opening when I looked at Acts Church. We have not really grown or shrunk significantly in the four years or so of the statistics that they showed. It was pretty static. Not a lot had happened. It was interesting to me. We also have not had significant numbers of people coming to Christ, getting saved and baptized in the past year. The numbers were actually very low. I want to help the body of Christ to do the work of the Great Commission. I want to do my part, so I have to start with God, what God is calling me to do and take real stock of my own heart and say, where, where am I just not being as effective as you've called me to be? That's what I have to do. But there are some things that as I need to do things to, to think about how me myself can keep stepping forward in the race, there are also some things that I need to do to help you keep stepping forward in the race because the body of Christ is not me. The body of Christ is us. I will admit something to you. This, is, this might be interesting to you to know. I'm actually a bit naive. I have this tendency to assume that my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ are, are kind of doing well. Like, even when they're not doing well, if I don't know that, I sort of assume that they're doing well. Um, and what I mean by that is I generally assume that my brothers and sisters in Christ are like on the same page with me. Like, we're on the same page. We're, we're, we're all about it. In terms of the Great Commission, like, we're, we're, we're looking to build the church. We're looking to do the thing. Like, I'm excited about it. And I just assume that my brothers and sisters in Christ are too. I assume we're sold out for the gospel and the transformational grace of Jesus Christ that he can do and does do to bring lives into submission to him and into his glorious, glorious kingdom. I assume we're all about it. I assume all my brothers are. But the other day, I actually received an email from the people who run our giving software. So they have all the statistics. And, and the number of givers that they listed, like the number of people who gave this month or whatever, was, it was way lower than what made sense to me. And I was like, wait a second, that's, that's a really, that can't be true. And so I asked Susan to run the numbers to see how many of our families uh, were giving regularly. But before I talk about that, let me tell you my mindset for how I think about us as a church. I want you to understand sort of my heart and my mindset, how I think. A number of years ago, I had the staff make a list. It was a list of our people. It was not a list of people who occasionally attend. It was a list of people who regularly, consistently attend our services. I actually made the list because there was a, a couple in the church and they had, they had not been there for a few weeks. And I didn't know, one of the things about like being in the same building every time is the weeks can kind of get lost. And like, I could be like, no, they were there last week. It's like, no, they haven't been there for two weeks. So uh, that's one of the reasons I made this because I knew they hadn't been there for a little while. So I asked, hey, I noticed you were gone for a little while. And the husband said, yeah, I was in the hospital for however long 
and nobody knew in the church. Nobody checked on me. Nobody knew anything about it. And I, from that, that day, I said, we're making a list of our regular, active attenders, our consistent people, and we're going to take attendance, right? So Susan's always in the back with a little iPad. She's watching you, okay? <laughs> She's taking attendance. And what happens is if people miss like a couple of weeks or so, and we don't know why they've missed, like, oh, they're on vacation or whatever. We don't know why they missed. We're calling you. We're calling you, we're texting you, we're pounding you because we want to know where you are and make sure that something like that doesn't ever happen again and make sure that if you need something or you need prayer, you need whatever, that we can help you. Many of you over the years have received some of those calls because you've missed a couple weeks, you've missed a few weeks and we'll call. We do that on purpose. The list has changed um, as people have moved People have become part of the church. You know, the, the list obviously changes. Not everybody who is on the list now was on the list seven years ago, right? Like the list, the list changes over time, but it's always representing the people who are the people, the consistent attenders, the serious folks. That list I look at as our people. I'm your people. You're my people. These are the attenders. These are the people that, sh- that show by showing up that they're serious. And I'm, I'm just a sucker for serious people. It gets me excited. They make me excited. They encourage me. And, and we pour out our lives for one another and for the kingdom of God. I assume that these are the people who are the core, who are committed to the Great Commission, committed to seeing transformation, committed to seeing lives change. So that's that group We call it our attendance list, but what it really is to me is this is the church. This is the body of Christ. These people who are locked in, who are serious. I just consider us to be in this work the Lord has given us together. Now, I'm not so naive that I don't know that people struggle sometimes. I know that. People go through stuff. People wander off a little bit over here, over there, as I have done in the past, as we all have done. And I want to minister to those with those kinds of needs and help correct and exhort and maybe rebuke where necessary to bring people back into the path, back into the race where they're supposed to be, doing the good works that God had prepared for them beforehand, all of that. But by and large, by and large, I think of that list as the team, the body, the body of Christ, at this local expression of the body of Christ at Acts Church, the core. That's how I think of those people. So I assume, this is where my naivete maybe comes in. I assume that almost all of the people on that list are doing the thing, doing the stuff, giving regularly, serving, right? Giving generously, faithfully, serving regularly and generously and faithfully. I assume that these people are evangelizing regularly, passionately, faithfully to the people who they run into, the people in their lives. That's what I assume. I just assume that's the case because that's my heart. And like, we're, we're in this. Like, that's how I think about you. That's how I think about you. There are things that we just do as Christ followers when we're serious, right? This is the Great Commission, seeing people saved, baptized, and discipled. There should be church. There should be a regular flow of new believers, people being baptized, and people getting into the race for the prize here within this local expression of the body of Christ. That should be a normal thing because we've been given the Lord's stamp to go and do that. He would not ask us to do that, which can't be done. 
He would not ask us to do that, which he is not gonna provide for us the opportunity to do. So then we have to ask questions like, what's, what's not right? What's not right in the body that we're not moving forward? And then we gotta correct those things. Here's Paul again, Philippians 3, 12 through 17. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. He knew that. I can tell you for sure I have not attained or been perfected. But I press on, right? One step after another, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He hasn't grasped it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we do. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, that's what I think of that list, as many as are mature, have this mind. Let's have the same mind about this, and we're pressing forward together. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we already have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind, that we're moving together. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. I'm not already there. I'm not all the way there. Neither are you. But we press on together. I'm assuming we have the same mind about this. Christianity is not just about having good families or helping the poor or serving the orphan and the widow and the stranger. It's definitely about all those things, by the way. It's definitely about all those things. But at the core of the Christian faith, your call is the Great Commission. The spiritual life that Jesus Christ brings and our calling to walk in good works. That's the stuff. The good works that God has prepared for us. I, just like Paul, want us, want us to be of the same mind. I want you to use, use my walk as a pattern. It's not perfect, but to the extent that you see me following Christ, follow what I do to follow Christ also. That's what the body's for. When it's hard and I can't see very well, I stick to those who I see doing that and I, and I imitate what they're doing moving towards Christ. Let's help one another to do that. I want us to be together in this. And so I got those numbers. It turns out that the team on the attendance list, the body of Christ at Acts Church, of all those people, the families, right? I, I did this by families. Less than half of our families are giving regularly. Less than half. I can honestly tell you that I was somewhere between surprised and heartbroken to find that out. As I've told you before, I, d I don't know how much anyone gives or which, or which of you gives and which of you don't. I still don't know that. I just got numbers. I didn't get names. There's a reason why I stay. I don't allow myself to know that about who you are and which of you gives and which of you doesn't give and how much you give. I don't know any of that, okay? But I have to be honest and say I had just assumed that most of our regular attenders were with me on this. I assumed that most of our regular attenders were excited and sold out, and I was wrong. Half of the people, half of the families and individuals who regularly attend X Church are relying on the other half to support the ministry. That's a reality. Told you it wasn't going to be easy. I knew we had a hard time like getting enough volunteers for Axe Kids, and I was always like, well, you know, I'm bummed, but they're probably, they're probably doing other stuff. Like they're probably helping in other areas or serving in other areas. I know, like, for instance, everybody can't 
Honduras. There's money issues. There's people who feel called to stay here. I've just always assumed the best that we're all trying to fulfill the Great Commission. And I believe that, I still believe that's where our hearts are. But our lives aren't necessarily following our hearts in this. I know now from a number of things that I've sort of looked at, um, thinking about with the Holy Spirit, there's some of us that just don't seem to be moving or don't seem to be moving on the right path. Um, People may not like this message. I understand that. If it seems too preachy, it's because I'm preaching. If it seems judgmental, it is. It is. I'm called to judge those inside the church. I, that is, I, which is to say, I'm called to make judgments about whether we are following Christ as he has called us to follow him. I, I love you all so much. You, you, you do not know. You're missing out if you're not moving forward. You're missing out on joy. You're missing out on what God wants you to be part of. I want you to have what I have. I want you to have it. And when I see somebody who's just not all the way in, they're half in, they're half out. Part of, part of them, not part of them. It breaks my heart. There are parts of me that I need to get, that I need to get surrendered. Always, always, more and more that I need to surrender myself. But there are some basic things, Christ followers. Some basic things that just say, not just to me, but to the world. They say whether you're serious about it. And one of the easiest ways to know how serious somebody is about something is to look at their time and their money. And if I look at your credit card statement, I look at your bank statement, whatever, and I've got, there's a Starbucks. There's the new this, there's the that, there's the whatever. You know, I got Netflix and Hulu and this and that and whatever, and there's no place where you're, where you're giving to the church. If I look at your time, yep, there you are on Sunday, but there's no volunteering, there's no serving. You, you don't have to look very far to ask yourself, how serious am I about this? How serious am I about this? I just want you to have all of it. I want what God has done for me for you, and I want it for other people. I don't just want to get together. I like getting together with you. I really like you guys. I really do. But I want you to experience joy, deep joy and peace and love and adventure and holiness, and righteousness, and service, and friendship, and all these things that come from being a serious Christ follower. I want you to be able to watch lives change and know that you've been a part of it. I want to see this body, the body of Christ here at Acts Church, grow in numbers and in maturity, all for the glory of God, who has saved us, who risked all of it, who came down to be a man, to suffer and die for you and me. Everything is his, guys. It's all his. It's all his. But if we're going to do the Great Commission as the body of Christ and understand the biblical structure that talks about us as a body and talks about when the body doesn't work because, ever, because things are out of shape, if we're going to do that, we all have to be doing certain things. And the fundamental, like, guys... Low-hanging fruit here. It might be hard, but it's basic. Is generously giving, serving, and evangelizing. When I say evangelize, I don't mean you have to be a street preacher. When I say evangelize, I mean talking to people at work, 
talking to your family, talking to your friends, getting people to come to life group with you, to come to church with you, or, or talking to them about salvation, that that's part of your life. I know it's hard to hear things that push against us and our comfort and our idea of how we want to live. But I got to be honest with you. If I don't tell you these, I'm not loving you. If I don't tell you this, I'm just not loving you. Grace is not enabling. Grace is that free gift that God gives us, that forgiveness that we have when we're just not on the right path, when we're just not doing what he's called us to do. It's not enabling. It's not, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to step on any toes. Just, just people, it's okay, it's okay. Somebody might leave if you say this, whatever. Listen, I don't want anybody to leave, but I want you to grow. I don't want anybody to leave, but I don't want to be hobbling around on a spiritually broken ankle because we have folks who won't get serious about the Great Commission. God will bless our church. And when I talk about blessings, I'm not talking about we're all going to be rich. I'm talking about we're going to get to see people get saved. We're going to get to see people get baptized. We're going to get to see people get discipled. We're going to see families change. We're going to see people taking those steps and looking at their life and looking back in the furrow of their life and seeing life growing up behind them because they have Jesus Christ. That's what I care about. Take the rest of it. All the things that we care about in the world. The money, right? The, the friends, the parties, the, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is we, we love. Take all that away. If I can just see life in Christ, that's my heart. I want to be rich in brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to have more brothers and sisters in Christ than we could possibly know all of. I want the riches, the riches of seeing our faithfulness be rewarded by God allowing us to be part of what he's doing in drawing people to himself. And I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it with my time. I'll pay for it with my money. I'll pay for it with my heart. I'll pay for it with discomfort. And so will you, because that's what you've been called to do. And I can tell you that the longer that you avoid it, the more likely that the sweet voice starts bringing a stick. I know what chasing looks like, and I can tell you, you want to avoid it. I've had some, some tough ones. What I want to do is encourage you. I want to encourage you for what your life can be like when you're being faithful. Please don't think to yourself, well, if they don't like it that I'm not giving or I'm not doing whatever, then I'll just leave. Leaving just takes away the part of the body you were called to be. We're just as broken without you as without your serving and evangelizing and giving. It's not going to heal the body of Christ for you to leave. It's just going to cripple it. Remember that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. And I need that verse. If you haven't been where you need to be, confess, repent, it's over. Forgetting what is behind, as we read, I press on toward the goal. I'm not sitting here looking at anybody in this room and going, how far are the path are there? How long have they been sitting down on the side of the path? All I care about is that we get on it and go. Forgetting what is behind. Confess, repent, whatever it is. You haven't been doing what God's been calling you. Fine. Get on the path and move forward and watch what God can do. 
Or if you don't, watch how difficult it is for everybody else to carry you because you want to sit. It's a real thing. We need everyone to be of one mind, of one accord, moving forward together in love and service and generous giving and evangelism, in a pleasing attitude, willing to be pleased. Guys, this is the Lord who died for us. The Lord who rose again, who we serve. Everything we have is his. Our lives, our bank accounts, our time, our stuff, our whatever, our children, our spouses, it's all his. Don't hold on to that, which is his. Whether it's your time, whether it's your discomfort in having to evangelize, whether it's your money, whether it's whatever, don't hold on to those things because you think you know better. All that says is, I don't trust you, Lord. That's what we always say when we're missing the mark, when we're sinning. It's always, it's always at the end of the day saying, I don't trust you to truly provide by your means, by your path, what I really want. We belong to him and we are co-workers with one another. I, I do understand this message is hard for us. It's actually harder for me than it is for you, believe it or not. But remember that the scripture is not just there to inspire us with verses that you would put on a coffee mug. It's not just to show us who God is and his love for us and things like that and his promises. It's also there to reprove us and correct us. In fact, it very clearly tells us that that's what it's for. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. How many of those things say all scripture is profitable for putting the promise of God on the coffee mug and feeling good in the morning? That's good too. But sometimes we have to let the scripture push up against us. I know it's pushing up against me. I hope it's pushed up against you because that's when we grow. That's when we take the steps that grow us. I, I've lost friends and people who I love who have left Christ's church to pursue worldliness or some, some softer version of Christian living where they can go and not really be challenged. That's not you guys. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have been here this long. Please don't be another one of those people. I've told you my story. I was worse than anyone. I was raised to know the truth. I was a pastor's kid and I lived in lies. But I was washed and forgiven by the power of God and I just want that for you and for other people. But we have to do this together. We have to do this together. Don't just take up a seat in this building. I love you too much for that. Take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Don't hold on to your time or your money or your comfort in exchange for being an effective minister of the gospel. The Great Commission is our mission. It's your mission and my mission. If you don't know Christ, you're on the wrong road. You can start the race today. You can start taking those steps forward. If you don't know Christ, you're not moving toward the crown of righteousness. You're dead in your sins. But Christ can give you life and hope and peace and joy and eternal life as he has for so many of us in this room, all of whom were where you were, where you are. If you're not a Christ follower, all of us were dead. All of us were broken. All of us were beyond help except for the one that came down from heaven to save us and rose again. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to, I want to leave you with, with one practical thing. Giving, that's easy. If you're not giving, guys, come on. 
Where, where are your priorities? Serving, also easy. We've got opportunities for you if you need to serve. Evangelizing. I want to stick one quick one for you because it's already 1130. I'm already over. I don't care. I want to keep talking. <laughs> I want to give you one practical thing today. This is, this is something I thought, what, what can we do practically? Great commission-wise. Here's the thing. Set your alarm on your phone for 15 minutes before you normally get up. That gives you an extra 15 minutes that day. Or go to bed 15 minutes earlier, I don't care. Ask the Lord when you wake up, what is my great commission adventure today? What is it today? It may be as simple as, I want you to text Jenny or Paul or James or Kenny or I'm just, you know, whoever, whoever your friends are. I want you to text that person and just invite them to coffee this week where I want you to go and I want you to invite them to come to life group with you. I want you to invite them to church or I want you to ask them to start moving in the direction of asking them what they believe and how that's working out. That may be all it is. Just text that person today. It may just be, I want you to pray for the church. I want you to pray for the believers. And maybe they put something to somebody on your heart who needs something, needs your help, needs some money, right? Needs your time. He may do that, but just ask him, what is it today? How am I doing the mission today? What are you calling me to do before I start anything else? I don't know what else might come up during the day, but right now I'm putting this 15 minutes or five minutes. Give it five minutes. Give it two minutes. What can I do today? I think a lot of times it's going to be something to pray about or someone to contact. You got people in your life. You got people in your life who you can start inviting to church who you can start inviting to life group, who you can start talking about Jesus with. That's one practical thing you can do to know that you're starting your day with your purpose, the Great Commission. So that's, I just want to leave that with you as a practical one. I, I love you guys so much. I, I don't want anybody to walk out of this place today feeling bad, feeling like I've been harsh with you. You're not worse than me. Good luck. I've been saved out of what you don't even understand. I know my own heart and what God has saved me from. But if you're a Christful, I want to encourage you. Yeah, you've got a little, little exhortation, a little rebuke there if you're not doing what you need to be doing. Okay. Get your, get your big, big pants on. Get tough. Don't sit there and be upset about it. Do the thing. Trust the Lord. We can move together as a body. I love you. Mm-hmm.